welcome to Sarah's Bookshelves Live. I'm your host, Sarah Dickinson. Join me every other week as we get real and sometimes a bit snarky about books and reading. Sometimes I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Catherine from Gilmore Guide to Books or Susie from Novel Visits. Other times, I talk with a bookish guest, including authors and publishing insiders who give us a behind-the-scenes peek into different corners of the book world. But always, we're bringing you great book recommendations in every single episode. Let's get rolling. Today, we're going to be talking about something that is overwhelming or confusing or both for some people, me included, but that has taken the book world and honestly, the world in general, totally by storm. And that's TikTok for books, aka book talk. It's a hashtag on TikTok where users talk books, just like Bookstagram is on Instagram. Book talk has drastically altered the landscape of the publishing industry. Personally, I'm not on book talk just because I'm already overwhelmed by the social media that I currently have to keep up with for the podcast. And I suspect I wouldn't do very well over there anyway. I'm possibly too old and I don't love making videos of myself. And there's a lot of videos on TikTok. However, I am fascinated with how this freight train has completely disrupted the book industry. So I'm thrilled to learn more about book talk today with Lee Stein. Lee is a writer interested in what the internet is doing to our identities, relationships, and politics. She is the author of five books, including the critically acclaimed satirical novel, Self-Care, and the poetry collection, What to Miss When. Her nonfiction writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the New Yorker Online, and more. Lee was co-founder and executive director of Out of the Binders slash BinderCon, a feminist literary nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender variant writers. And in an article she wrote for LitHub, which I will link to in the show notes, Stein says this about herself. Quote, as a chronically online millennial, I've become a translator between the readers on BookTok and the literary community that looks down upon them. So that's what she's going to be doing today. Welcome, Lee. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I have been thinking about doing this episode for so long and kind of trying to find the right guest, the right expert, if you will. So I am so glad I finally came across you and that you agreed to do this. So thanks for being here. I love talking about TikTok and I just think it's so misunderstood. And I'm glad you quoted that line because I do feel like a translator between different communities of readers and writers. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit older than the TikTok age. I'm 45. I grew up on Instagram. Well, not grew up, let's say. 20s and 30s, right? Instagram. But my kids are big into TikTok. That is all they look at is TikTok. So I do have some familiarity with it from them, although they laugh at me about the stuff that I do not know. (laughs) That's like an evergreen through history, right? Your kids have to laugh at the stuff that you don't know. Oh, yeah, completely. And they're so far beyond where I am. I actually sat down with my son and I was like, can you kind of show me how to find some book accounts on this so I could just at least dip my toe in a little bit (laughs) before we talked? So he was just incredibly frustrated with me. (laughs) So when did Book Talk truly begin taking off? So Book Talk started taking off during the pandemic. And I should just say off the top that TikTok is, of course, a platform. It's an app that you can download to your phone. And Book Talk is just a community. It's a subculture on the app 
TikTok. So on TikTok, there are all different subcultures and communities, whether you like cooking or you like fashion or you like cleaning tips, whatever you like or whatever you would follow normally on Instagram, you can find that also on TikTok. And BookTok is just the corner of TikTok where people love books and share books. So in 2020, TikTok became the most downloaded non-game app in the world. By 2021, the website TikTok was visited more often than Google. That's truly crazy. So the thing to understand about TikTok is that it is the Gen Z internet. Gen Z, who are late teens, early to mid-20s, they use TikTok the way millennials or Gen X uses Google. I'm an older millennial. I'm 39. So this is their internet. This is where they live. And on TikTok, on BookTok, the bookish corner of TikTok, one of the first books to blow up over there was The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. And why did this particular book explode? I think it's because Gen Z readers had grown up with the Percy Jackson series. And so Gen Z really loves Greek myths retold. And this book, which had been released in 2012, went viral on BookTok. And according to Echo, the publisher, it was selling at nine times the rate of its release in 2012. Wow. And that's a book that many of my listeners did read and love, even who are not on BookTok. Yeah, it's super popular. Absolutely. Another book that your readers have heard of that have blown up on TikTok is, of course, the the Colleen Hoover universe. And one of the reasons that Colleen Hoover started blowing up in 2020 is that during the pandemic, she made five of her eBooks free. Genius move for Colleen Hoover. She's so prolific. She puts out so many books that by making those five books free, it opened the door for readers to ask themselves, how can I get more of this? Are there more of these novels? Can I get more? And Colleen Hoover is so, is she's so looked down upon in my corner of the literary universe as like trash, but I'm very pro Colleen Hoover. And I feel excited that like young women are going into Target and buying books for the first time. And I think of it as like a gateway drug. If you start with Colleen Hoover, you might find your way to other books. So I'm all for people turning to Coho novels. It's like, for me, my gateway was like V.C. Andrews trash. That is what got me to love reading. Totally. So I can totally see that. And V.C. Andrews, I mean, that's like the perfect analogy to the Colleen Hoover phenomenon. (laughs) But it's like the kind of novel that you would like read in your bedroom with the door closed, like hoping your mom wouldn't come in. Oh, yeah. And then the day that my mom actually plucked one off my shelves and read one and was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Exactly. So where in its trajectory is Book Talk now? Is it still like growing at lightning speed? Has it slowed down a little bit? Where are we in sort of its maturity journey? Book Talk remains the most powerful book marketing engine the publishing industry has ever seen. It's far more popular than Instagram. And I can cite some quick stats about the top book talk authors. So these are tracked by BookScan, which is like an industry data collection of book sale data. So they track the top 90 book talk authors. In 2020, those top 90 book talk authors sold 9 million copies. In 2021, they sold 20 million. In 2022, they sold 33 million. And last year, they sold 46 million print books. This doesn't even count ebooks. Wow. 
So it's just going up and up and up. I don't think we're at the peak yet. Sure. And do you have any idea from a stats perspective, you may not have this in front of you, but how many books like per year the industry as a whole sells? Like what percentage does TikTok make up of this whole book industry? Ooh, that's a good question. I can do it roughly. So book sales kind of peaked in 2021. It was the highest ever. And that was 825 million. Okay. And it's gone a little bit down in 2022, 2023, but we are still above pre-pandemic numbers. So book sales are still really strong after that peak year in 2021. So if we're figuring out what is 46 million out of 825 million, that's like 18%. Okay. So 18% of print book sales from TikTok. Also, I suspect it is making the pie of the book industry larger as a whole because it is creating a lot of younger readers that maybe wouldn't have picked up books as a hobby as opposed to like video games or scrolling TikTok or whatever otherwise. Absolutely. And Kristen McLean, who's this industry analyst at BookScan, she says in the romance category, the fact that the growth in romance is keeping up in print means that an entirely new group of readers is coming to romance. And I also heard this anecdotally. I was at Yale University at their romance fiction conference, which was super fun. And they had speakers who are the sister owners of the Ripped Bodice Bookstore, which is a bookstore totally dedicated to romance. Oh, yes. Uh huh. And they said, like, the, the people that come in the store are young. Like, there is a whole new generation of young romance readers that are reading different kinds of romance novels than maybe their moms or their grandmothers read. As, like, a person who talks about books publicly, I will tell you that my email inbox, the books that are sent to me the most by publishers or pitched to me via email by publishers, by far romance. And I don't even read that much romance. <laughs> they're everywhere. They're just, there's so many being published right now. Oh, yeah. And I'm not a huge romance reader either, either, but I'm like romance curious because I'm so interested in the fandom. And romance readers, some of them read a book a day. Oh, yes. They are definitely the most prolific readers out there. I've heard that many, many times over the years. So as a literary novelist, I have to kind of like thank all the romance readers because they are kind of like keeping the industry afloat so that they can publish literary novels, right? Yeah, their sales are subsidizing exactly smaller, mid-market, more literary books. Yeah. So what is the appeal of BookTok for readers? What do people that are on BookTok find so appealing about discovering books in that way? So a major thing that people need to understand about the difference between Instagram and TikTok is that Instagram is social media. It shows your content to people that follow you. And TikTok is not social media. TikTok is recommendation media. It is driven by the algorithm and the algorithm determines who sees your videos based on videos that you have watched and liked in the past. That is such a good way to put it, recommendation media. I've never thought about it that way. So TikTok learns what I like so specifically. It knows me so well and so intimately. It even shows me different kinds of videos, whether I'm on the app in the morning or the night. I get different kinds of videos at night. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> a little scary, but also helpful. <laughs> I love like acoustic female singers at night. Like that's what it serves me. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So TikTok learns your taste really well, and then it delivers to you recommendations of books, if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, 
just perfectly calibrated to what you like. It's like curated just for you. And there was recently a survey done by Wattpad, which is like a fan fiction website. And they found that 72% of Gen Z and 68% of millennials look for book suggestions from BookTok and BookTube. Wow. So this is where people under, let's say, 40 are going for recommendations. And these younger readers, they aren't going to celebrity book clubs, which I thought was interesting because writers are obsessed. Like every writer I know dreams of being the Reese pick. (laughs) Yeah, totally. We learned some interesting stats about the book clubs with another industry expert who came on. Oprah is the only one that consistently drives massive sales. Wow. Reese, if she picks a thriller, will drive good sales. But otherwise, it's hit and miss. Yeah. So I think my industry is really underestimating just how influential these creators on TikTok are. Like These are the tastemakers. Like This is the next Oprah and the next Reese. They're on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Because that's how powerful their recommendations are. And what about some of the big criticisms that you hear probably from people within the publishing industry, right? Like about BookTok. Well, I think TikTok, the platform is in the news a lot. And there are a lot of lawmakers that are worried about the platform because it's owned by a Chinese company. And would the company be required by the Chinese Communist Party to turn over user data? So that's like a security threat. Sure. And I understand why government officials wouldn't want the app on their government-issued iPhone. (laughs) I understand that part of it. Right, right, right. I honestly, for the past couple of years, I really thought the security threat was overblown. And I thought that this paranoia that we could be influenced by China through TikTok, that sounded very paranoid to me. And I really didn't get it. And then after October 7th and the attack on Israel... And I won't get political. I know this isn't a political podcast. I won't get political. But I'll just say that the videos I was shown on TikTok really shocked me. Right. Because I was definitely shown certain kinds of videos that are not anything like what I would normally engage with. They were videos that were deliberately shown to me to influence my opinion in a certain way. So after October 7th was the first time that I was like, oh, now I see how TikTok could be used as propaganda. And that has kind of shifted my opinion a little bit. I am a little bit concerned that this is an election year. Yes. And it's the first election year where TikTok has had this massive hold. I mean, 2020, it was kind of just coming into its own, right? Absolutely. And elections are always shifted by whatever the new media technology is. Like Facebook played a huge role in the election of Obama. Yep. So I just think Let's hope (laughs) that our politicians are savvy with TikTok and learn it. Like, I think they have to use the tool for good and not for evil, especially this year. It's a pivotal year. So I'll be watching that for sure this year. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. Something I've heard, and I'd love your thoughts on this, I kind of heard within the book industry is that as far as diversity in books and diversity in reading, publishers have been improving the diversity in the books that they are publishing, but it's not really taking with readers or being reflected in sales data. And one of the theories is that this is because algorithms like TikTok are pushing more of exactly what readers have liked before to them. So they're not kind of out discovering newer things that they may not have read in the past or may not be similar to what they've read in the past. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I think actually this is one of the myths about book talk. One of the myths is that it's the same 20 books over and over again. And that all those 20 books are by white women like Colleen Hoover and Emily Henry. I hear that all the time. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't think that's true. I think if you actually spend time on Book Talk, you will not only see such a diversity of different authors, but you will also see the Book Talk creators themselves who try so hard to showcase diverse books. So they're out there doing the work to show their audience other books, and yet this stereotype persists. So I can just rattle off a few names of other writers that I think are really popular on TikTok, including Kennedy Ryan, yep. Bolu Babalola, Talia Hibbert, yep. Anna Huang. On the literary fiction side, Gabrielle Zevin, Carmen Maria Machado, Akwaki Amezi, Otessa Moshfag. Bell Hooks had a moment <laughs> on TikTok blowing up. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it is out there. I think this stereotype persists among people who are only looking at the bestseller lists, which, yes, can look more white and not actually spending time on the app. Well, when I was prepping for this episode, I Googled most popular book talkers and went to find them on book talk. And there were a number of creators of color that were on that list. Oh, absolutely. There are creators of color on book talk. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So how does the type of content that tends to do well on BookTok differ from the type of content you see on Instagram? Okay, this is one of my favorite questions to answer because oh, good. I think we're in this turning point moment away from the kind of beautiful, perfectionistic influencer aesthetic of like the mid-2010s, like the kind of girl boss culture that I satirize in my novel self-care, like the millennial pink and the smoothie and the perfectly blown out hair. We're bored of this. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> <laughs> so TikTok is leading us in a different way. And I think it's bleeding over into Instagram. So TikTok culture is more chaotic, irreverent, messy, you see young women on TikTok with acne on their faces that they haven't covered up, with bedhead, with their, you know, with their hair in a messy bun on the top of their head. They aren't trying to look perfect. And that is so refreshing. And it creates like an intimacy with the audience. The audience wants to see real people. Even trends on TikTok where there are these filters where you can show yourself looking all beautiful with this like makeup filter. The way I see people using these filters is they put the filter on and then they take it off to show people what they really look like. And the comments are all like, you're beautiful just the way you are. Oh, I kind of love that. That's great. Yeah. It's like a rejection of the Kardashian face. Well, one of the reasons I just don't like putting myself on video is I don't want to have to blow dry my hair and put on makeup. Like I don't do that during weekdays. So that maybe I could do video and TikTok. <laughs> And I'm telling you on TikTok, you do not have to. I've made TikTok videos in my workout clothes. There is not a level of perfectionism on TikTok the way there is on Instagram. And so the kind of content that performs on Instagram that looks beautiful and aesthetic and it has a filter and it's like, here's my coffee and here's my book. On TikTok, what performs is high energy, emotional, chaotic, funny, weird. If your listeners want to look up the creator named Newly Nova. She's a great example of this kind of content. It takes you to weird places. And that's what captures attention. Because on TikTok, you have to grab someone's attention in three seconds or less, or they're scrolling on to the next video. Right. The last thing I'll say is just the difference between book content, like on Bookstagram and on TikTok, is like a Bookstagram post will be like a flat lay, right? It'll be like a book and a beautiful pen and a beautiful cup of tea. It's so static and flat. And on TikTok, it's much more dynamic and emotional and creative. The different ways that book talkers 
find to use their beloved collection of books. It's always print physical books and they find all these different ways to stack them or collect them or show them in different ways and capture the audience's attention in a much more dynamic way than on Instagram. And what about the difference in the caption on Instagram versus the commentary on a TikTok video? How do those differ? There aren't really captions on TikTok. You can use captions, but it's not really a platform for writing. It's more a platform. I mean, it's obviously a video platform. So so I think video essays do really well. And this is what got me to start creating my own content was following a creator named Eleanor Stern, who is just so smart. She was a master's student in linguistics, and she posts a lot about creative writing, literature, books, and she makes these video essays. So Eleanor, it's like she'll read something on the internet and then she'll just kind of tell you on camera what she read and why she thought it was interesting. And her audience loves this. Her audience is like blown away that she can find articles in the New Yorker. It like blows their mind. <laughs> so I think of Eleanor also as a kind of translator between literary world and TikTok world. Like she brings essays from highbrow publications and translates them for her audience. But once I saw what she was doing on camera, where it's just kind of talking about what she's reading and she'll put a screenshot behind her of the text. Once I figured out how to do that, it was very easy. I, like you, I was very reluctant to make video content. It didn't come naturally to me at all. I felt very weird doing it. And then once I saw what Eleanor was doing, it was like showing me the way that I was like, okay, I could do that. And I feel like from what I researched and what I saw when I dipped my toe in, Instagram posts about books tend to be the pictures you described. And then the caption is a traditional kind of book review, right? Yeah. And then on TikTok, sometimes you don't even hear that much information about the book itself. It's just how that book made that creator feel. And that gets people to read the book. Yes. Big emotions do well on TikTok. And interestingly, I think, so everything is like a fandom. Everything's like a niche fandom. So there's the Colleen Hoover girlies. That's its own fandom. But then there are the girlies that define themselves as never reading a Colleen Hoover in their whole life. They would rather die. Oh, interesting. Okay. But they are the sad young literary women that I hang out with. And so they read like Otessa Moshfeg. Like that's how they define themselves. But to me, I'm like, oh, they all like the same thing. They, they all want to be shocked and feel a big feeling. That's why someone reads a Colleen Hoover novel. And that's why someone reads La Bona by Otessa Moshevag is to be totally shocked. And so they're looking for the same big feeling just from different authors. And it also sounds like you can niche down in TikTok pretty far to the types of books you like. Whereas Bookstagram, it's very hard to like, I mean, there's some accounts that cover strictly fantasy or whatever, but like really niching down within that stuff is kind of hard on Instagram, I feel like. Yeah, it's definitely a place of subcultures and niches and fandoms on TikTok. And I can also just give an idea of the different kinds of content you would find on BookTok. So you could find someone talking to camera and giving a review of a book. Sometimes you see people say, these are the three books I read this week. So they're just giving their weekly reading updates. You also see book recommendation stacks. So someone might say, you know, like, here are six books to read if you love X or if this was your favorite book. So what types of books tend to do well on BookTok? We know romance, right? What else? Yeah. Romance is huge. Fantasy is huge. Sarah J. Maas. Romancy. (laughs) Romanticy is having a moment with Rebecca Yaros. She's blowing up. Thriller and horror are on there, but they are not as big, I would think, as fantasy and romance. And then there is the literary fiction corner, which is where I live. And I think a lot of people who are not on Book Talk maybe don't know that there is a literary fiction corner. Correct. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of my audience, that may be news to them. 
Yeah, so I live on the literary fiction corner where we read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow was a big hit on this side of the TikTok. Oh, I love that so much. Big Swiss. Yep. Which we're going to talk more about. Memoirs like Crying in H Mart. Poetry is big on this corner. Books in translation are very big on this corner. Oh, interesting. Okay. August is Women in Translation Month. And every August, I see a lot of the book talk creators I follow highlighting books in translation by women. That's great. I also heard recently that Lonesome Dove is taking off on TikTok right now. <laughs> what is going on with that? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's very funny. You know, when you say that, I think I do know a book talk creator that recently read Lonesome Dove, but I don't know about the viral sensation of it. I'm going to start seeing it everywhere now. Well, because your phone's hearing you right now. <laughs> it's something I saw in the traditional media talking about how Lonesome Dove is taken off on BookTok. I didn't actually see it on BookTok. And I think also one of the things about BookTok, and this is great for publishing, it is resurrecting these older backlist books that probably weren't going to be selling much these days otherwise. Like A Song of Achilles. Yeah, like Bell Hooks. And that's what makes book talk so fun. It's like as much as there's this perception that it's the same books over and over again, when something weird takes off, another weird one that took off was A Certain Hunger, which was published by a tiny press. And it's about like a middle-aged food critic who practices cannibalism, like totally weird, shocking. Interesting. Okay. It blew up because cannibalism's having a moment. <laughs> the things that are having a moment. <laughs> <laughs> So what are the biggest ways that BookTok is shaping the publishing industry right now? I think this is where the tastemakers are. And I think it's replacing the review coverage, the book coverage that we have lost in mainstream media. We just don't have as many book sections in traditional media that we had 20 years ago. And I think some people are struggling to accept that that is fact and reality. But the fact is, if a video gets a million views... Think about exponentially how many more people have heard about that book than it was reviewed in the New York Times. I just don't think a, a review in the New York Times is driving sales. Well, and how big a subsection of the general reader who isn't reading hundreds of books a year, they're reading like 12, 20 books a year, maybe. How often are they reading Washington Post book reviews and things like that? Like, I feel like that stuff is very insular to the industry and kind of highbrow critics and all that. And regular readers like don't read those kinds of reviews that often. Totally. So if we go back to like the idea of like celebrity book clubs, it might be that we know that women buy a lot of books. So if you're a female reader and you're over 40, you might be taking your cues from the Oprah book club or the Reese book club and turning to celebrities that you trust for their book recommendations. But if you're under 40, you're on TikTok. Yeah. So the kinds of books that do well on TikTok and the publishers are learning this there are certain books for certain audiences that belong on TikTok. You know, if someone comes to me and they say that they're writing a novel about a divorced baby boomer couple, I wouldn't tell them to get on TikTok because that's not the audience for TikTok. So last year in 2023, as you know, Backlist is selling a lot more than Frontlist. Yep. But on the top bestsellers of the year 2023, among the Frontlist, out of 200, there were 11 new adult novels that were the bestsellers of 2023, out of those 11, eight are TikTok books, meaning they're by authors that are big on TikTok. The other three are by John Grisham, Stephen King, and Abraham Bergesi. Oh, wow. Okay. What are some of the bestsellers from 2023 that are on that list, that from the TikTok ones? Of the front list? Yeah. 
So the front list would be Rebecca Yaros. Yes, sure. Emily Henry, Colleen Hoover. Yep. Oh, I forgot she had a new book that came out last year. <laughs> She's a machine. Yes. And Lucy's score. Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. That's good to know. And then the back list is also filled with Colleen Hoover, Anna Huang, Sarah J. Moss, Lessons in Chemistry. I've been hearing a lot about Hannah Grace lately. Oh, Hannah Grace. So Hannah Grace is one of these um, amazing success stories that she just started writing a novel in the pandemic for fun to not go crazy. It's a hockey romance and she self-published it and it went viral. And then a publisher, Atria, picked it up and Hannah Grace is her pseudonym, but she's one of those ones that was a self-published author who went viral and got picked up. And that's one of the other ways that I'm hearing that TikTok is really changing the publishing industry is authors that are not able to find a traditional publishing home can sometimes get an audience at TikTok and then get picked up by a publisher. Yeah. So how are publishers responding to the influence of book talk? I feel like they got caught very flat-footed and don't really know what they're doing here. But how are you seeing publishers at least trying to respond to this? Oh, they don't get it. I have a lot of frustration around this because TikTok, it's like its own country. And you have to move there and learn to speak the language and learn the local culture to fit in. You can't just kind of drop in as a tourist and expect everyone to pay attention to you just because you showed up. Yeah. So there were some early failures that I saw on TikTok. And at the same time, I'll say, like, I admire anyone just trying something. Like, I think it's better to try and fail than to not try at all. Oh, absolutely. But what are the failures? Some early failures were, I'm not sure who the publisher is, but there was a campaign on TikTok for a Don Winslow novel about these rival gangs in Rhode Island called City on Fire. Yep. I remember that book. And so they hired these like two male tap dancers to make this very highly produced tap dancing video to promote the book. And you can tell they spent a lot of money on it because it's done very professionally, but it's just, I guess someone must have said, TikTok is the place where people dance. You know, like... Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. What they didn't know is that TikTok is also the place that is not highly produced. Right. But also I don't think TikTok is the audience for a Rhode Island mafia novel. No, that's like older men, I feel like. Exactly. So it was the wrong audience. It was the wrong campaign. It's just like a cringe inducing artifact of 2020. (laughs) So we think that publishers are sitting there in marketing meetings saying this book we think can do well on TikTok or not, and then directing a campaign to TikTok now? Do we think that's happening? Obviously, they did it wrong in this case, but... I wish I knew. Like, I wish I was a fly on a wall in those meetings. I think it's getting better. Some publishers, I think, are doing a good job on TikTok. I think Avid Reader Press kind of gets the vibe. I think they're doing a good job. Oh, yeah. I saw an amazing box that was sent out to influencers from Penguin Books US called the Sad Girl Autumn Box. And on the cover, it said, warning, this box contains books with complex female characters. To me, this shows that they learned the language of the literary corner of book talk. Like they're fluent in that language. And then when you open the box, there was this novel Diary of a Void by Emmy Yogi. There was a Rebecca Solnit backlist title. There was a Rebecca Solnit tote bag. There was a Boy Smells Candle, which is like very trendy. So they get the vibe. They get the aesthetic. I actually DM'd the Penguin Books account. And I was like, whoever put this together deserves a raise. And they were like, thank you. I'm going to put that in my praise doc. (laughs) I think whoever did that understands TikTok. 
But this is a real undervalued skill, I think, of understanding social media. And the other thing that's important to understand is because mainstream media, legacy print media has been consolidated and collapsed and there have been tens of thousands of layoffs of journalists, like this is going away. It also means that advertising is changing. So running an ad in the New York Times book review is not going to help you, but a publisher paying a creator to make an amazing video on TikTok, that's where the ad spend is happening, not just in book publishing, but across industries, whether you're launching a new lipstick or you're launching a new mop You want to be spending your advertising budget on creators to create original content for you. And are publishers paying BookTok creators actual cash to promote a particular book? Yes. Because that does not happen that much on Instagram and never really did. You like, they're like, here, you can have a free book. Right. They're definitely sending free books, but they also are paying for campaigns. That's a change from how they handled Instagram. Yeah. The hard thing though for TikTok creators is that by law, you have to, on Instagram as well, you have to say if it's an ad. Sure. And on TikTok, the algorithm downplays those videos. Oh, interesting. Okay. So a creator might get paid $1,000 and make a great video, but if the algorithm doesn't deliver that video, is it money well spent? Right. So it is risky, a little bit risky for the advertiser to pay this money because they are at the mercy of the algorithm. Absolutely. They're not just at the mercy of the creator creating a good video. Exactly. Exactly. And so what I see from my friends on TikTok, you know, on TikTok, you can do friends only the same way you can kind of do Instagram stories to your close friends. You can do friends only on TikTok. So I will see some of my friends on TikTok say, can you guys please go engage with my video because I did this sponsored ad and if no one has any views, like, can you please go engage? And so then we'll go over there and we'll say like, love it. Sounds great. You know, like, so they they can kind of manufacture engagement. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can see why I can see why one would do that. Let me ask you this. Many people have debated, at least in the Instagram space for years, like, can a bookstagrammer be paid to review a book? And then do you trust that review? Blah, blah, blah. So going over to TikTok, I feel like a big part of TikTok, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like this authenticity and, oh, we can trust what these people are saying because it happens organically. It's not pushed. Yes. So how are these paid videos about books being received? That is an excellent question. And I also know book talk creators who have been offered money and they will not take it because they would rather just authentically share the books they genuinely love. Yeah. I think on TikTok, especially like Gen Z is allergic to advertising. Yes. They don't want to look at anything that looks like an ad. They want to scroll past it. And so the ideal, the dream would be viral word of mouth marketing that's not paid for. Like with Song of Achilles, like Echo didn't plant that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But then how to, and this is, I guess, the big question that no one's been able to answer. How then do publishers try to harness the benefits of book talk if they have no control over what's going to pick up over there? Like they have all these new books coming out and they cannot at all influence certain books are going to pick up over there. I think publishers, their marketing departments need to be working on building relationships, one human being to another. They have to build relationships with these creators because 
if you know that you have this book coming out and you know this creator would love this book, you genuinely understand this creator's taste and you know this is a book that would light them up and you offer to pay them to make the video, that is a great match. You know what I mean? Right. Then you don't have to worry so much. What if they leave a negative review? This is very time consuming to do that kind of matchmaking and find the perfect creator for the project. But like I heard of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow all over TikTok. That's where I heard of it. And I saw an ad by the creator, Literary Fling, who I would highly recommend. She's one of my favorites. She did a sponsored post for the book. And you could just tell like it was genuine. It matched with her taste. It matched with other books she'd recommended in the past. It was like a perfect fit. And it was part of this marketing campaign for that book that really, it was perfect for TikTok. Like all the stars aligned on that one. Something just crossed my mind. I feel like based on what you're saying, it sounds similar to how publishers have assigned book reps that handle specific indie bookstores. Mm-hmm. And they go make their sales calls to the book buyer at said indie bookstore. And they know that book buyer and they know their taste. And they are trusted to recommend things that that book buyer would like and that particular locale market would like. They need a book rep department for TikTok. Yeah, I think that's genius. I mean, that's going to take a lot of money, but (laughs) did we just solve it? I'm willing to do this for 250000 a year. Yeah, yeah. If they'll just hire me, I'm willing to... T- yeah, I'm willing to do that role. That would be actually fun for me. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they'll ever do that. I feel like that's the, the only way to, to execute, right? But I feel like the publishing industry knows how to do this with other tastemakers. Like, I'm not going to name names, but I know exactly who the people are that they're like, oh, we have to get a book to her. Like, if we get a book to her, that, that'll be meaningful. But these are people that were popular on Twitter in like 2010. I just feel like catch up, you guys, like catch up with the times. Right. Well, I feel like the publishing industry as a whole, in many respects, not just how they're dealing with book talk, is very plodding and slow moving and late to catch up to many things. Yes. To close things out on our book talk discussion before we get to your book recommendations. Is there anything authors should be doing on book talk? Yes. So here's my best advice for authors. I don't think everyone needs to get on camera and make videos, especially if you're like allergic to that. I wouldn't recommend that to everyone. I do think if you are a nonfiction author who's trying to build your platform to sell a memoir or to sell a self-help book or to sell a narrative nonfiction book, I think you can do really well building an audience on TikTok. You can build an audience much faster than you can on Instagram by sharing your expertise and your opinions. One writer who has done really well with this is Rose Hackman, who's the author of the book Emotional Labor. She got on TikTok to promote her new book and she got 30,000 followers like in a matter of weeks. Wow. Yeah. You can't do that on Instagram these days. No. If you are a novelist, I don't think you should get on camera and promote your book. It feels cringe-inducing and it looks (laughs) cringe-inducing. Don't do that. What I did as a novelist is in the summer of 2022, I hired a recent college graduate who was both a huge reader and someone who's fluent in TikTok as a TikTok user. And we did an outreach campaign to creators. So she helped me research creators in this literary fiction space that liked books like My Year of Rest and Relaxation because that was a comp for my novel self-care. So I found the creators who liked similar books to mine. We built a spreadsheet of 100 creators. I followed all of them. I engaged with their content. I emailed 85 personalized pitches about self-care asking if I could send them a free copy 
71% responded. What I'm told from marketing departments is this is a very high response rate. Oh, yeah. I mailed books all over the country to Canada and to the UK, and it resulted in over 70 posts on TikTok and Instagram of my novel self-care. So I didn't pay any of the creators. I did pay for my own shipping and postage and like the books. I mailed them out myself. But that was a hugely successful, in my opinion, outreach campaign. And that's what I would recommend to novelists. Like find the creators that like books like yours, offer to send them a free book. Don't require them to post because you're not paying them. So you can't, (laughs) I can't say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Keep it friendly, but build those relationships. And for me, the novel I'm working on now is a novel set in a TikTok hype house. So I'm really playing the long game that when that novel comes out down the road, I already have these relationships built with these content creators. And it gets meta because it's set in a TikTok world. Exactly. <laughs> I love a meta novel. Yes. All right. Let's get into your book recommendations. Okay. As usual, Lee is going to share two old books she loves, two new books she loves, one book she does not love, and one upcoming release she's excited about. And all of these books, correct me if I'm wrong, are books that kind of came to you via TikTok, right? Yeah. All right. Tell me about the first old book you loved. Okay, I really enjoyed Verity by Colleen Hoover. I felt like I should read at least one Colleen Hoover novel if I was going to participate in the discourse. It just isn't fair to disparage her without actually reading any of her books. I read two of her books, It Ends With Us and Verity. Verity, I really enjoyed. It is a gothic suspense novel about a writer who gets this job to finish a book by a more famous writer who's like in a mysterious coma upstairs in this house. I started reading it on the couch, laying on my back, and I only got up 150 pages in because my neck hurt and I couldn't remain in that position. (laughs) Colleen Hoover, say what you will, but like she knows how to write a page turner. It is like crap. Like I could not stop reading this book. And it's also, I think it's also fun for your readers because it kind of has some like little snark about the publishing industry because the narrator is like a less famous writer than the woman she's trying to ghost for. And so I think there's some insider publishing stuff that your listeners might enjoy. I love books that bring behind the scenes of publishing into it. Was this the first book that kicked off Colleen Hoover on TikTok or was that It Ends With Us? It Ends With Us is the one that really kicked off on TikTok, which I also read. Okay. And I assume you liked Verity better based on how you're talking. Yeah, it's just more my style, especially because I'm writing a gothic novel. And so I'm just reading different gothic novels. So that really just kind of rang my bells. Yeah, totally. All right. That's Verity by Colleen Hoover. And tell me about the second old book you loved. Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. I loved this novel. It's a campus satire I love novels driven by obsession, and this is about a middle-aged woman's obsession with a younger male professor who gets a job teaching at the college where she and her husband work. Her husband has been accused of basically sexual misconduct for past consensual relationships he's had with younger students, and so the female narrator of the novel is going to kind of seek a revenge of sorts by being driven completely insane with her obsession with this younger male professor. It's almost like a playful twist on Lolita. And that's why the cover image is like, a <laughs> instead of a little girl's saddle shoes, it's like a naked, hairy male chest and no head. <laughs> that cover was highly divisive. Did you like the cover? 
I loved the cover. I thought it was so weird and provocative. <laughs> but it's funny because I was like at an indie bookstore and there was one of those shelf talkers, like a little piece of paper about the book. And it was like, ignore the cover. This novel is actually good. And I was like, ignore the cover. I love the cover. <laughs> there was a really interesting, I think it was a YouTube video that I found that the actual publisher's marketing department put together explaining the process of how they landed on this cover. And it was really good. Y'all, I'll try to find it and link to it in the show notes. But if you like decision-making about how a book gets a certain cover, whether you like this particular cover or not, this is a really interesting video to watch. Great recommendation. Also, I I do have to share the first, I have not read this book, but I do have to share the first line of this book because it's a doozy. When I was a child, I loved old men and I could tell that they loved me. I think I made some TikTok videos about this and I brought up the fact that she's like playing with what we know of Lolita. And like, I don't think everyone gets that. But once you get that that's part of the game, it adds a layer of richness to the reading experience. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. And tell me about the first new book you loved. So the first new book I loved is Y slash N by Esther Yee. I found out about this on TikTok thanks to the user Literary Fling, who I mentioned a couple minutes ago, who recommended on Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It is about a Korean-American woman living in Berlin who becomes obsessed with a singer named Moon from a K-pop band. And she goes to Seoul to try to meet him in person. So it's a novel about parasocial relationships and, again, about obsession, which is what I love to read about. I would have assumed that Y slash N stood for yes, no before I picked it up. But Y slash N actually stands for your name. And it's a kind of trope in fan fiction where you're reading fan fiction and you put in your name to stand in for the hero or the protagonist who's going through the experience in the fan fiction universe. So in this case, it would be like she, the narrator, her name is the person having an experience with Moon, the famous K-pop singer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I was like, I don't get this. I did see that Y slash N was the name of the main character in the book, but I was like, I still don't get this. That is fascinating. And so like the novel at some point like becomes a fan fiction. (laughs) All right. Now we're getting real meta. Yeah, it's super meta. I think if you are a fan of Haruki Murakami novels, you would like this. It has a very kind of eerie, surreal atmosphere. And she goes down all these strange rabbit holes in her search for Moon. And so it's about kind of intimacy and yearning and obsession. And the publisher is calling this absurdist fiction which I thought was interesting. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I didn't find it as funny. Like sometimes I feel like books are over-described as funny when they're not. They just think like that's what readers want. (laughs) Totally agree. It's more eerie. It's more eerie. I do not love when uh, publishers tout like this book is LOL. Like, no, no. (laughs) Hilarious. No, I actually find subtle sort of chuckle funny humor funnier than or unexpected humor, I guess. Well, speaking of unexpected humor, I think my next recommendation, Big Swiss, really is funny. This is a TikTok novel. I saw this all over TikTok. I had to go to three different bookstores. I live in the New York City suburbs. I had to go to three different bookstores before I could finally find a copy of Big Swiss. It was sold out everywhere. It is a novel about a middle-aged woman living in upstate New York, kind of at ends. She has to live with a roommate. She needs work. And she gets a job transcribing therapy sessions for a therapist. And as she's transcribing these sessions that are presumably private, she becomes obsessed with a patient 
that the therapist is seeing and starts to do all these crazy things to kind of meet and form a relationship with this woman that she's become obsessed with by listening to the audio of her therapy sessions. This book actually was pretty big among my listeners last year, and I did not know that it had been big on TikTok as well. One of the reasons I like it is I feel like it kind of subverts the trauma plot. Like the character Big Swiss has gone through a very traumatic experience, but she doesn't define herself by that experience. And the narrator almost wants her to be more destroyed or more defined by it. So I think it's playing with our expectations of trauma and healing and identity. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. This is weird to say, but I like reading books about trauma and healing from trauma and the psychology of trauma, all of that. Mm -hmm. That was Big Swiss by Jen Began. Tell us about the book you did not love, y'all. This is a beloved book. This will be interesting. Brace yourselves. I didn't love Lessons in Chemistry. I found that it had a very flat depiction of good and evil. The women were strong and good and the men were bad and did bad things to them. And I just found the characters to be really flat. And when I thought about why is this book so popular, I think it's because American women have this fantasy of being the underdog. Even as American women have achieved such great strides in terms of career advancement, career opportunity, like my life today, it's so much easier. I have so many more opportunities than my mother did or my grandmother did. Like there's so many more doors that are open to me. There's been so much progress. So I think we almost have this fantasy that we want to see ourselves as like the underdog against the big mean man trying to hold us down and we're going to overcome and triumph. I just found it, I don't know, like patronizing. It didn't to me reflect my experience of what it is to be a woman. And I felt like, I don't know, I was being talked down to. I really didn't like it. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I can see the patronizing. I didn't feel that way about it, but I can see how that could come across that way to somebody. Yeah. I think you can tell from my recommendations, like I'm much more interested in women behaving badly than I'm interested in men behaving badly toward women. (laughs) Yes. I've read enough of men behaving badly toward women. Like let's see the women making some mischief. Fair enough. That makes sense. And was Lessons in Chemistry big on TikTok? Did that take off over there? It's a good question. I don't really see it in my corner of TikTok, but I wonder if it's big somewhere that I'm not in the same way that Colleen Hoover is big where I'm not. Well, I know that it is selling like crazy still, even though it came out in 2022. Yeah. It's a sensation. Sensation. Yeah. It's still on the bestseller list. Yeah. Well, and now the TV adaptation's out, so that'll help it. But even between initial release and the TV adaptation, it was selling really, really well. All right. That was Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Tell us about the new release you're excited about, which I'm also excited about. I'm really excited for everyone to read the novel Victim by Andrew Boriga. I blurbed this book. It comes out in March from Doubleday. It is a satire and if you loved Yellowface, I think you would really enjoy this book. It's basically about a young up-and-coming writer from the Bronx, and he's kind of encouraged all along the way by well-meaning, nice white people to kind of exaggerate or dramatize his upbringing so that he could be more of an oppressed victim and get opportunities like scholarships to college or like a gig writing for something that's a lot like The New Yorker. And so he gets deeper and deeper into trouble as he starts fictionalizing more and more of his experience 
And Andrew came to me, basically, he wrote me like a fan letter just saying how much he loved my novel self-care and would I read his book. And the way he described my novel, I was like, oh, he really gets it because it's he and I are both kind of writing about how the attention economy can incentivize us to present ourselves as more victim than we truly are. And so I really vibed with this novel. It's really kind of wickedly funny. Also, if you've seen the movie American Fiction, a fantastic movie, very similar to this novel. So I highly recommend pre-order it now. I am so excited to read this. I have a galley. I have not gotten into it yet, but I'm planning to get into it soon. And I love these explorations of the publishing industry told in this way. Mm -hmm. And something you said made me connect to The Bachelor, the TV show. This is weird. Hang with me here. But The Bachelor focuses on contestants, especially the women, like their first date with The Bachelor. It's always they have to tell some like sob story from their past. What is my victim narrative that's going to make everybody feel sorry for me? Yes. And I'm kind of sick of it. And now I can see it. I can pinpoint it happening. I'm like, oh, here's this girl's sob story. Like it sounds a little similar. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of The Bachelor franchise. I think you're totally right. It is my favorite trashy TV. That and Below Deck, but... (laughs) That was Victim by Andrew Boriga coming out March 12th. I'm excited to pick that up really soon. Probably before this episode even airs, I'll have picked it up. I love to close out every episode with asking my guests the same question, and that is, what is the last five-star book you read? It was Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. This is partly a satire of young, self-righteous environmental activists and partly a thriller about like a nefarious billionaire character a la Peter Thiel. And it's set in New Zealand and it reads like a Jane Austen novel. It's like all about human behavior and how we get people wrong and how our pride prevents us from seeing ourselves clearly. But it's like a page turning thriller, just absolutely delicious. This was on a lot of best books of the year list last year, I believe. That's why I picked it up. Oh, nice. Okay. I've never heard it described as a thriller. Now you're getting me interested. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you so much. I learned a lot and maybe we solved the publishing TikTok problem, right? (laughs) You did. Congrats, Sarah. Congrats. Yeah. Easier said than done, right? Actually executing that. The February Superlatives episode for patrons will air at the end of the month, and it will include Lee's picks for categories like how the traditional publishing industry generally feels about BookTok and the biggest scandal you've seen blow up on BookTok. If you'd like to get this bonus episode plus others, you can support the show on Patreon. There is a link in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. And in two weeks, which is March 6th, Three-time podcast guest Sarah Hildreth of Fiction Matters and the Novel Pairings podcast will be joining me for a Classics and Classic Retellings 101 episode. Talk to you in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening to Sarah's Bookshelves Live. You can find show notes with all the books mentioned in the episode, purchase links, and linked timestamps at sarahsbookshelves.com slash podcast. And that's Sarah with an H. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Sarah's Bookshelves. There's a link in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. And make sure to follow Sarah's Bookshelves live in your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. You can find me online at sarahsbookshelves.com, on Instagram at Sarah's Bookshelves, or via email at sarahsbookshelves at gmail.com.